If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 28 through uh, 37. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built? by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the, for the beautiful song that our worship team just sang, Lord, and uh, even more so for the beautiful words that it contained, Father, that uh, we can stand before you with confidence, not because of anything good that's in us or not because of any righteousness that we have of our own, but because we are found in Christ and we are given his righteousness. So, Father, thank you that as we approach your word, Uh, we come before it with confidence. Again, not because we have the ability to understand it, but because you give us uh, eyes to see it, minds to understand it, and hearts uh, to grasp it in faith. So Father, may we encounter you and your word here this morning, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Many of you know, uh, if you've been here for a while, you know that uh, I get to teach here at the university a little bit, uh, just as a part-time job on the side. And uh, I get to teach a couple courses, and one of the courses that I'm teaching right now is a course called uh, Introduction to Biblical Studies, and we go through a seven-week period of all the scriptures. And uh, this past week, we were uh, looking at the wisdom literature that's found in the Old Testament. We were looking at, uh, in particular, the book of Proverbs. And uh, I always love getting to this section because, for whatever reason, the students love always the book of Proverbs. 
okay? They come from all sorts of different backgrounds, uh, lots of different spiritual backgrounds. Some of them love the Bible. Some of them uh, have never read it before. Uh, Some of them are aloof to the Bible. Others hate the Bible. But for whatever reason, when we get to the book of Proverbs and they start having to read through it, they absolutely love the book of Proverbs and the things that it contains, if you've ever read the book, you'll know it's, it's full of these kind of short little pithy uh, statements that encapsulate wisdom in just one or two sentences. If you've never read the book, I'd encourage you to, to go home and check it out and, and read some of these statements. But what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to look at one of those Proverbs, one of those little statements And allow that statement to really frame or define this passage of scripture that we're about to look at. And the proverb that I'd like to look at is this one. It says this, Proverbs 29, 23. One's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. One's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. You see, one of the things that everybody loves about uh, the book of Proverbs is how real life it kind of feels. That as you read through the book and you read Proverbs like this, you can say, yes, that is what my life really is or what my life really feels like. It really connects with our experience about, about human nature and about the things that we kind of go through day in and day out. And one of the best ways to help kind of flesh out some of these Proverbs is to ultimately look at people's stories, to look at case studies that in some ways exemplify the wisdom you see in the book of Proverbs. So the case study I'd like to look at this morning is the case study of Nebuchadnezzar. We just read a small piece of his story. Nebuchadnezzar was uh, the king of Babylon thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. He was a, a pagan king uh, who engaged in all sorts of kind of pagan idol worship in uh, the ancient world. He was the king of Babylon, which was uh, the most mighty nation uh, at the time in which the book of Daniel was written. And he was a particularly brutal man. He conquered most of uh, the ancient world. And what we read about in the latter half of the, New Te- of the Old Testament is that he conquered God's people, the nation of Israel. But he didn't just conquer them. He, he conquered them. He carried them into exile. He enslaved them for his purposes. And in the process, he did a lot of brutal things because he was a brutal character. But what you see all throughout the book of Daniel is, is not just him as a character, but you actually see that, that he embarks really on a spiritual journey, even as a pagan king. You see, he was, he was being hounded by something. When my kids really want something, they have the ability to hound my wife and I until they really get what we want. Well, the, the king of Nebuchadnezzar was being hounded. But he was being hounded by God himself all throughout the book of Daniel. Last Monday at at our leadership meeting, we we were talking a little bit about how uh, people tend to come to faith. And we talked about how some people come to faith through kind of a long journey where God is gradually revealed into their lives over time. 
And then you run into some people that, that come to God in a very different way. It's, it's more of a, a sudden thing or a climactic event that happens in their life that ultimately brings them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, in Nebuchadnezzar, you kind of see both happen. You see that he is on a spiritual journey, but that spiritual journey at one point leads to him to a very climactic event. You see, in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has another crazy dream that no one can really interpret. He brings in all his advisors and nobody can offer an interpretation of this dream until he meets God's man, Daniel. And Daniel comes into the king's court and not just explains to the king his dream, but then explains to the king the meaning of his dream. Daniel's careful to say that it's not his ingenuity that revealed the meaning, but it was God, his God, the most high God. And Nebuchadnezzar is intrigued. He promotes Daniel and he starts on this spiritual journey of curiosity, wanting to learn more and more about Daniel's king. In Daniel chapter 3, we read this last week, Nebuchadnezzar builds a a massive idol, an idol that was probably 90 feet tall and, and nine feet wide. And he forced the entire nation to have to worship this idol. And almost the entire nation did, except for three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, out of loyalty to God most high, refused to worship this idol. So Nebuchadnezzar, in a fit of rage, throws these three young men into the fiery furnace But he's amazed as he watches the events play out because the fire does not consume these three men. And as he peers into the fire, he doesn't see just three men. He sees four. And he realizes that the presence of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God delivered them in a powerful and incredible way. And in the process, Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely amazed at the deliverance and presence of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. You see, his journey continues. It enters into this next chapter of learning what this Most High God is really all about. But this journey isn't just a slow journey. It's one that did lead him to a climactic point, a crisis moment in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And it reminds us of this proverb that we're looking at here this morning. One's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. And what I'd like to do is, is just divide that, that proverb in half and help it to frame how we look at Nebuchadnezzar's crisis moment in this story in Daniel chapter 4. The first thing we see is that one's pride will bring him low. And you see it in verses 28 to 33 in Daniel chapter 4. You see, the chapter opens with another dream. We see Nebuchadnezzar having another dream that plagued him. It was difficult for him. It troubled him at uh, the deepest point of his heart and his soul. It gripped him with all sorts of fear. And we actually know the substance of the dream. He, he dreamt about a, a massive uh, tree. It says in verse 11 that its top reached to the heavens and it was visible for the entire earth to be able to see it. 
And then the dream goes on and a sudden voice comes out uh, of heaven and the tree gets chopped down. In a really swift and powerful blow, the tree gets chopped down. And Nebuchadnezzar sees all this play out. He wakes up and he's troubled by this dream. So he calls all his advisors together and once again, they cannot decipher the meaning of this dream for Nebuchadnezzar. So he calls Daniel. Once again, he calls Daniel and tells Daniel all about this dream. Daniel receives the interpretation from the Lord, but he sheepishly tells it to Nebuchadnezzar because he knows that this image is not a good one for this king to dream about. He tells the king that he actually is that tree that ultimately will be chopped down. That he will be driven from power. That he will be driven into the wilderness. That he will become just like another beast of the field. But he also offers the king some advice. To be able to avoid this judgment. He says, break off your sins by practicing righteousness. And your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. So the question becomes, did, did this dream have its effect? Did Nebuchadnezzar take this advice that was given to him by Daniel? Well, we don't really know. But what we do know is that about a year later, about 12 months later, the passage tells us that Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof of his palace and he was surveying his entire kingdom. And he says these words in verse 30. He says, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. And then the passage tells us that almost immediately he is undone. The dream is realized and the proverb that we are looking at is fulfilled in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. When we look at his story, we have to, we have to ask ourselves, what is Nebuchadnezzar's issue? What was his problem? What was the thing that, that brought such judgment upon this great king? And the answer is that his core sin was pride. You see, pride is, is the cult of self where we engage in the worship of ourselves. It was the very essence or the very sin that stood behind that first sin in the garden that Adam and Eve committed. And it is the sin that stands behind every sin that you and I commit ever since that first sin. We see a few things about pride, not just in our story, but all throughout the scriptures. We see that that pride is, is deceptive in nature. It's deceptive by its very nature. C.S. Lewis helps us to see that, uh, that pride is easy to see in others, but virtually impossible to see it in ourselves. Why? Because it deceives us. It's our pride that deceives us into thinking that we've got our spiritual bases covered before a holy God. It's our pride that keeps us from recognizing our deep and profound need for Jesus Christ. See, pride is, is misplaced glory. It's seeking to attribute to us 
the credit that really only God deserves. So much of what we have, so much of the the giftedness and the possessions, the things that we have that we claim as our own are really given to us by factors that are outside of our control. We are often, we often take for credit all the things that we have when really God is the one that gives us those very things. And you see that in Nebuchadnezzar. He had accomplished a lot. In fact, uh, two of the, the ancient wonders, uh, the, the seven wonders of the ancient world, two of them are actually attributed to Nebuchadnezzar himself. The hanging gardens of Babylon, the, the great wall of Babylon that, that surrounded the city, all those things were, were attributed to Nebuchadnezzar. He had accomplished a lot in his reign at, as king. But yet what we see consistently all throughout the book of Daniel is that all those things really came by the hand of God. And what Nebuchadnezzar failed to realize is that all those things came from God's hand and that his very place on the throne of the kingdom was by God's hand. You see, pride places the glory inside of ourselves rather than gives the glory to God himself, the one who deserves it. We also see that pride is, is misplaced confidence. It blinds us to the, the, the transient nature of life and we become confident in our own ingenuity and our own know-how. We become secure in our bank accounts and our, and our 401ks and we place our confidence of life in these things instead of God. But the reality of life is far different. James tells us in, in chapter 4 something that's, that's really haunting and something that's sobering about the nature of life. He says this, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow brings. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You see, we tend to, in our pride, place our confidence in all sorts of things. But the reality is all those things could be taken from us in just a moment, in just a breath, because our lives are nothing more than just a mist before God. Jesus tells us another sobering story in the form of a parable in Luke chapter 12. He tells a parable about a young man and it says the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. And is not rich toward God. 
You see, friends, our pride is deceptive. It is misplaced glory. It is misplaced confidence. And of course, we all know from experience, whether it's in our lives or in the lives of other people, our pride often gets dismantled. Two other Proverbs, Proverbs sixteen eighteen: pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs eleven two: when pride comes, then comes disgrace and with the humble is wisdom. We see in our passage that Nebuchadnezzar's pride is brought low. But we also see beautifully the second half of that proverb as well. And we see it in verses 34 to 47. A humble spirit will obtain honor. A humble spirit will obtain honor. You see, as soon as Nebuchadnezzar utters these, these words, as soon as the, the words are kind of still in his mouth or they're kind of right in front of him in the air, a voice comes from the, he- from the heavens and a humbling comes from the hand of the Lord. And what we read in the passage as, is that this most powerful ancient king becomes like a, a beast, like an animal that wanders into the field. This prideful king is immediately brought, brought low. His haughty spirit in many ways becomes disgraced. And we don't know how long exactly Nebuchadnezzar per- persisted in this kind of animal-like space. Some people think it was as many as seven years that, that Nebuchadnezzar kind of persisted in this state. But at the very end, it says in verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason was restored to me. I can remember uh, when I was a kid that uh, I I look back and I think that I was a, a particularly prideful kid. Now, I, I still struggle with pride a lot in my life, uh, but I look back and I, and I look back at myself when I was kind of a teenager and all that sort of stuff, and I said, man, what a, what a prideful kid that was. And I think part of the reason I was such a prideful kid is, is I was kind of the good kid. I was well thought of by other people. I was liked by other people. I'd done a lot to kind of promote my own kind of righteousness as a young kid, so When people talked about me and I wasn't there, I was pretty confident that they said really good things about me. And I allowed that to kind of really feed my my pride as a kid. And I can remember being really caught up in that in a lot of times. But then I can remember distinctly, all of a sudden it ended in a flash. It ended in a flash. People saw me for who I really was. I no longer fit their good kid description and they saw my heart for what it really was. And what was so painful about it is I think for the first time I actually saw my heart for what it really and truly was. As I look back, I think it was, it was in some ways one of the most disruptive and yet loving things God has ever done for me in my life. And I can remember there was a point when all this was going on that that I literally kind of came to my senses. 
I came to the realization that this was the true state of my heart. This was the reality of my soul. But it wasn't such a sorrowful event because as soon as God opened my eyes to see the reality of my soul, he also opened my eyes to see the beauty of his grace. And in that moment, I think I tasted God's grace more beautifully than any time I ever had in my life. You see, there are several instances all throughout the scriptures where it talks about people who were coming to their senses. The most famous is is the parable of the story of the prodigal son that you may have heard before. Story about a son who wants his father's inheritance and his father gives it to him and then he goes out and squanders his entire inheritance. So much so that he has to, to take a job feeding pigs. And, and as he's sitting in the, the pigsty, he's looking at the pig's food and, and contemplating what it might be like for him to, to start eating that pig's food because he's so hungry in that moment, because he'd so hit rock bottom. And what the scriptures say is that in that moment, he came to his senses. You see, it was his his greatest point of misery in his life in which his reason ultimately returned to him. And in humility, he went back to his father. See, friends, what it reminds us is that we are in our most reasonable state when we stand before God in humility. We we are in our most common sense and wisest place when we stand before God in humility. See, in our story, Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. His journey has reached its climactic moment, the climactic moment. And in that moment, he says his most reasonable and common sense statement probably of his entire life. He says, my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who gives life forever. You know, people sometimes find out that I'm a pastor and they'll come to me and they'll ask me, what really is the the essence of this Christian faith that, that you talk about all the time? What is it at its core? What's the, what's the kind of core message that I have to get in a nutshell to understand this thing called faith? What is the essence of knowing Jesus is my Savior? And the truth is, here it is in this story. The essence of this faith is having our eyes opened to our pride. It is coming to the end of ourselves and our own righteousness and in our most humble state, recognizing that we are finally thinking clearly when we despair of our own goodness and our own righteousness and our own pride. Friends, a lot of people want to uh, embrace Jesus and yet still hold on to their pride and still hold on to their independence. They simply want to add Jesus onto the rest of their impressive resume that they have compiled in their lives. But the reality is Jesus won't have it. We must first 
humble ourselves and come to our senses before we can embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior. And it is then and only then that we can return to a father and know that when we do that, as the parable tells us, he runs down the road to meet us and to embrace us. The truth is, all of this is, is only made possible because Jesus Christ first humbled himself. There's this powerful passage in, in the book of Philippians that reads this way. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus was the only one who truly deserved honor, yet he was brought low. The one who deserved glory allowed himself to be destroyed. And the one who was only and truly humble allowed himself to be disgraced. He did it so that when you and I come to our senses in humility, we can be confident and can be assured that when we come to our senses, the Father stands ready to embrace us with his love and with his grace. You know, the reality is I, I, I guess we're all uh, to some degree on some sort of spiritual journey before God. We're all on a spiritual journey just like Nebuchadnezzar was in our story. For some of you, it may be a really long journey. For some of you, it may come down to a climactic moment. But either way, know that you must come before Christ humbled. Come before Christ our Savior, who himself was humbled on our behalf. Don't let your pride or your righteousness blind you anymore from the true reality of your souls. Instead, come to your senses in humility and run to the Father, knowing that he will receive you with open arms because he sent his Son to make all of this possible.